Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Right, welcome back to another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. Uh, so you'll, you're going to hear a podcast here uh, coming up in the next few weeks. We were down at the um, Mobile Hunting Expo down in Ohio, and uh, what a cool event. Um, got to actually um, meet the owners of huntworth and uh see some of the stuff that they've got coming out for this year and i think it opened a lot of people's eyes as to what huntworth is and kind of like the quality of their clothing and um you know kind of their commitment to the the deer hunter rather than you know a lot of this clothing for uh western hunters they do have some things that pair well with western hunting but um you know their bread and butter is the whitetail guy and uh, they got to see just exactly what that was all about at the mobile hunting expo and one of the things they've got coming out now uh, probably at the end of august early september um, and it's a little early for you know we're thinking about early season right now but the heat boost it is so like i said i was super impressed with their uh, the warmth of their gear and now they have something that's even warmer uh, with less bulk. So it's about 30% warmer. Um, it's It's got some material woven into the fabric that actually reflects your heat back onto you. And just wearing it, you can feel it, like the heat build. You can feel it, you know, taking your body heat and putting it back in there. That's called the heat boost. So you can look for that on the Huntworth site. Uh, but it was really cool to, to meet them. Um, and, you know, talk to them about the process and, and things they got coming up. So, um, like I say, definitely check that out, huntworthgear.com. Um, this podcast, like I say in the intro here, um, you know, talking to a guy who kills, you know, there's lots of guys out there that are still hunting with climbers. Um, and so I just wanted to do a podcast about, you know, maybe you don't got the the money that you have no desire to, to switch over to any of this mobile hunting stuff. Um, and you're sick of hearing about it. So here's the guy down out of Georgia. Um, you know, we, everything we don't necessarily talk about on a regular basis on this podcast climbers. Um, he's, uh, using, using bait similarly to, um, minerals or mock scrapes. Um, he's, you know, just, just doing things that, you know, all, everything that generally on a podcast they'll say that doesn't work or you can't do that. The internet says it, it's broken. Uh, but 
uh, super good guy, uh, hunts all over, kind of set up his life so that he can hunt multiple states and just lives for deer hunting. Um, I think you guys are really going to like this one. Uh, good information in there too, but, um, but yeah, so one of the other things we got going on right now is we're getting ready for our Patreon hunt, going up and doing some scouting there. And, uh, you know, for, for our Patreons, you know, we do a lot of things. We do a bunch of giveaways uh, with our partners. We uh, have Marco Polo groups. We just had a Vitals Live with Andy May. So um, during those Vitals Lives, it's basically a live podcast where you get to ask the guest uh, questions in real time, um, and webinar style. So, uh, you know, there's map breakdowns and all, all sorts of stuff uh, pertinent to the time of the year. And uh, we we give that through the vitals live, uh, to our patrons as well. So, um, for our giveaways, now we're going to have a, uh, for the third quarter, um, Huntworth is giving away, um, one of the jacket and pants sets. Um, the one that I used last year, probably their favorite, my favorite gear, um, that they've got, and it's going to be jacket pants, uh, hand warmer muff, as well as a hat. And they're doing that. Um, Spartan Forge. So Spartan Forge sponsored that mobile hunting expo. Got to talk to uh, Johnny Stewart, uh, Lane Hausner, uh, Jake Bush was down there. So there was definitely some Spartan Forge presence. Uh, but Spartan Forge is uh, artificial intelligence for the deer woods. Uh, does predictability based on collared deer studies, amongst other things, and predicts where the deer should be. Um, on every, any given day, um, Garrett Prawl, DIY sportsman, he's done, um, some testing on it and it's about 66% accurate. So, um, for those days where you got that one day to hunt and you're thinking about where you should go, um, it helps you with that, but their imagery, they got more, uh, UAV or drone, uh, leaf off imagery. Um, so you can see you right down to the dirt, the ones I was looking at recently, uh, scouting for a guy today was right as the snow had come off. So there, there was a couple of mounds of snow still in the pictures, but I mean, you could see right down to the dirt when you're looking for these, uh, game trails and stuff. So you can check them out at SpartanForge.ai. Um, you can sign up using code bowhunter and save 25%. So, um, they give away a year su subscription to that. Um, lucky buck gives away either a tub of their mineral or some of their seed, um, and then the guys from Zinger Fletchings, they give away uh, a package of their uh, Fletchings. They were down there at the Mobile Hunters Expo. Just a great job um, down there. Always fun to see those guys. Uh, but, yeah, so, so we try and give back as much as we can. Um, not sure what else we're giving away. Um, we're going to give away some stuff from Latitude. And... It probably end up doing a saddle package again. Uh, we'll figure out sticks, platform, um, all that, and uh, we'll get that straightened out here here shortly. But if you want to check that out, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, or you can go to our Instagram, just click the link, and then, uh, or it's on the website, bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com. Um, but you can check that out, and, um, you know, we really appreciate all the support. Like I said, we try and do as much as we can to give back. It's like 17 cents a day to uh, to help the show out. But um, if that's not your thing, not a big deal. Um, you know, share this podcast with your buddy who's still hunting out of a climber. Uh, say, you know, we, we see how it's how it's working for you. 
and uh, th- this is going to be a good podcast for you. But uh, as always, we just want to thank every single one of you. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, Adam, back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And, you know, uh, if you're looking at the uh, this podcast and you're looking at the title and you're I mean, we're already kind of leading into it. You're like, these guys only talk about saddle hunting. You know, they talk about hunting on the ground. They talk about all this stuff and all of these climbers that they used to to use. And I don't know if it was like a year ago or two years ago. Like, I, I found this guy on YouTube and I listened to him on a couple other podcasts. And you know, he's still hunting out of a climber. He's filming out of a climber. He's doing it by design, on purpose, unapologetically still hunting out of the climber. So I messaged him and I'm like, is the climber dead? Like I want to do a podcast that says like, is the climber dead? And, uh, we just sort of reconnected here recently. And, uh, that was exactly what he clapped back with. He's like, Hey, and and still, man, the climber's not dead. Climber's not dead. So, uh, Tanner Edenfield, man, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing all right, man. Uh, can't complain. Just counting down the days till deer season. So if people haven't seen, you know, your Have Bow, Will Travel uh, YouTube channel, and uh, I believe Dan Infault was wearing one of your hats or your T-shirts or something, uh, they, they haven't seen, like, your country music hunting parody videos, uh, the, the memes that you put out continually, uh, all this stuff. So tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of, you know, why you're on here today. <laughs> um. Well... I'm on, I guess I'm here because uh, talking about whether or not the climber's dead, which it's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just, uh, I don't know. I always struggle with that open-ended of a question. Tell everybody about yourself. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just a, uh, I guess you'd say a diehard deer hunter, pretty much. That's what I think about every day. Uh <laughs> um so where did that start like what's your what what, what, like where are you from like what's your like hunting heritage like in your family your dad your grandpa like any of that stuff sure so i'm i'm from middle georgia um it's funny like my dad actually grew up in like central florida and moved to georgia to deer hunt and so like he grew up hunting i know you mentioned walt from chasing tails like he grew up hunting some of the same kind of stuff that uh, Walt hunts and he moved to Georgia for bigger deer. And um, so then I grew up here and now I'm head, I head to the Midwest. Like, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, um, it just, you know, I've kind of been involved in bow hunting my whole life. I mean, I probably had a bow in my hand about the time I could walk. And uh, honestly, like it's, it's borderline to the point like there might be something wrong with me. Like at three or four years old, I would take a toy bow and just go sit in the edge of the woods. Like my dad had a lock on set up for me, like three feet off the ground. And I mean, like, honestly, I'm glad a deer never came by because <laughs> I would sit out there like all day with like a 15 pound bow and a fill point thinking I was about to kill a deer. And <laughs> so anyway, I mean, obviously it's, as soon as I was old enough to actually have a bow that I could kill a deer, it was wide open then. And uh, pretty much just, you know, kind of really have kind of built my life around that, trying to, 
you know, hunt and have opportunities to and just have a good time doing it, I guess. So when you were learning from your dad was, so that's one of those things for me where, you know, we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about like, when did like scoring deer inches become a thing? And like, you know, my, my hunting influences were never about big bucks. It was just killing deer. And if you kill the buck, you know, like, Oh, it was a six point. It was a eight point. Like it was a really wide 10 point, but it was never, you know, what was the score? So like yeah. for, for you, you said your dad moved to Georgia to hunt bigger deer. Like, was that always like the goal? Yeah. I mean, it's so you got to realize that, I mean, we, of course we've always cared about score my whole life, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I may have kind of misspoke. It wasn't just necessarily bigger deer. It was also a lot more deer. I mean, like the way he talks, like when he would hunt that public land, because I mean, you can't, unless you're like a millionaire, you can't afford to really hunt private land in Florida just because there's not that much land. There's a lot of rich people. So just supply and demand is expensive to lease stuff. So the way he talks, like to hunt public land in Florida, you're doing good to even see tracks. You know what I mean? So, so I may have kind of misspoke on that. It may not, I mean, definitely, we always cared about bigger deer, but it's also just like the fact that you can, you're going to have an enjoyable time and at least get to see deer on a much more regular basis than you are in Central Florida. Okay. And so, what was the the style of a hunting? So, you know, was it you know ladder stands and corn piles, or was it? you know, food plots and big manicured stuff, or was it always public? Like, you know. Um, so for me growing up, it was mostly, and you gotta, you gotta remember, like we didn't have cameras back then either. So for like, it was mostly like, literally there was a, a kind of a, I grew up on 13 acres and there's kind of a pinch point between where we had a dirt bike track built in the neighbor's yard. And, I would hunt that like literally probably 60, 70 days a year. And in the back of my mind, you know, not having cameras, I'm thinking, okay, there's got to be a giant buck around here somewhere. <laughs> and eventually he's going to walk through here. You know what I mean? Like, and it's funny just because now you might on 13 acres, you might run a camera for a week or two. And if you didn't see anything, you might be like, well, I might try again in a month or I might not, but I'm not going to be putting any seat time in here. You know what I mean? Sure. But every once in a while, a big buck would come through that little pinch point and I'd shoot at him or kill, sometimes kill him, sometimes miss him. <laughs> but, um, and then, you know, I, as I got, you know, middle school, I'd, I'd find out what friends had a little bit of land and sweet talk their parents into letting me hunt there and, uh, kind of go from there. And so, um, so were you, were these like all presets or? I mean, when did you start, I guess, like um, hunting with a climber and like kind of getting. No, so like on? all that was like, was pretty much with a climber. I mean, like when I'd hunt behind the house, I'd sit, I'd sit, the, I mean, I'd sit the climber there all year. A lot of times I wouldn't even bring it back, but um, yeah, I mean, pretty much a climber the whole time. That's what I grew up hunting with. And, you know, when I, uh, was talking to Walt earlier, like, it just seems like, so I'm going to be 41 here. 
I think by the time this comes out, I'll right. be 41. So like when we were hunting with a climber, like when you were sitting on the edge of a field in a lock on at three years old, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't this whole thing about like this whole movement about mobile hunting, right? You were always right. mobile hunting cause you were hunting public and you, you know, we were hunting on in different spots, going over here, going over there. And the, the climber was the kind of most efficient way to do that. Um, you know, one of the guys uh, that hunts with us, uh, Ernie would have a, a lock on limit with 150 screw in steps and a Jansport backpack and a lineman's belt. And he'd screw them in and, you know, come back down and, and do that. But, you know, there wasn't, now this like movement of like mobile hunting. So like how, I mean, I mean, what's your thoughts on, you know, the climb or not, uh, being dead it, because, okay. Okay. Let me back up just a little bit before we get into that. So like, so like now what is your hunting style? You're hunting multiple States, like, like, you know. um, so overall now my hunting style is, bed hunting mainly i would say like my number one thought going into the woods is okay there's a buck i want to kill where is he bedded and so sometimes that especially in georgia that take that takes the form of corn hunting like hunting over bait but it's not it's not it's really bed hunting and i know i get i get a lot of critics and stuff for hunting over corn i don't care but a lot of times it's okay. I know this deer's bedded here. Where could I feed them to possibly have a chance of getting in and killing them? Because like most of the time it's so thick down here. You're not going to sneak that close to a buck's bed. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to crash your way through briars to get within 150, 200 yards of them and him not know you're there. So, and then out of state, of course you got to, you also got to figure I'm usually going out of state during the rut. So I'm thinking more like funnels, like knowing I'm going somewhere for a week. I don't really have time to find one buck and figure out where he's bedding, but I can a lot of, especially in areas that like, out, especially in areas that either have limited cover or serious topography, you can look at a map and pretty quickly tell what's funneling the deer. Um, for example, like Ohio, you can look at a topo map and I mean, I can usually draw an X on a map and when I walk to it, it'll be just eat up with sign probably eight or nine times out of 10. And so to like, with the goal of walking into a spot for a week and killing a deer or a good buck, that, you know, that seems to work better than actually trying to find one deer and figure out where he's bedding. So I got to go back to the, I mean... So, understandably, this podcast reaches tons and tons of people, but I think we try to focus on, you know, improving as a hunter and, you know, up in your game. So, taking it to the next level, whether it's, if that's your first deer with a bow, if it's your first buck with a bow, or if it's your first Pope and Young, or, or your first, you know, deer watch him stand up out of his bed and so we bring on guys that are like consistently killing bucks like good bucks on a regular basis you know consistently and and you fit all of those categories but 
the masses would tell you that like everything, probably every other podcast that we've ever done. And these guys who are coming off of their 13 acres and they're going out on public or they're coming off of their, you know, kind of permission spots, kind of like everything that you outlined, they're being mm-hmm. told you can't kill these bucks from their bed over a corn pile. And there's no way you can do that with a climber. So I want to kind of go back into that a little bit because that goes against like, you know, you hear about, you know, the hunting beast and the Dan Infault style of, of hunting. And then like that school of thought would say, you're never going to see these deer. They're going to know you're there. They're smarter than you are. They know they're being hunted at that point all of these things. So like walk me through like your, your process, your thought process and like why it works. Um, why corn works or why climber works or both? Uh, Just the whole mentality of like, you know, when you say that you get a lot of crap for, uh, hunting these buck beds over corn, right. And that you're not going to get that close. So what's the proximity to the bed? You know, I, I would assume from so, from what you'd said, you're not gonna, you're not getting close enough to where you're seeing them stand up because he said it's too right. Yeah. So, so like, what, what? Yeah. So, how, like, that would be a difficult thing to answer, honestly, because, like I said, like down here, you know, it's all regional. I mean, like, there's been times in Kentucky that I've literally looked at a map and said that looks like a spot of buckwood bed. Walk to it, and there's a wore out circle right there with rubs everywhere but i couldn't i mean literally in my life in georgia i may have found i found one bed of you know the last i'd say 15 years of actually like like scouting the woods hunting i found one bed that i was like yeah that is a buck's bed and kind of knew what bucket was probably like so like here if I say I found a buck's bed, I might mean I found the 50-acre swamp that he's coming out of, not the actual circle of ground that he lays down on. You know what I mean? And so, and the biggest reason why is just because most of what I hunt, a a rabbit dog has to bend down to crawl through. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like you could, theoretically, yes, you could trot through there and actually find his bed, which a lot of times I feel like, moves around a lot you know like i don't i don't know i think there's a lot of deer that are not laying down in the same spot that often but um you know by the time you actually found it a bed that he's using you've done stuck it up so bad you probably i mean he definitely knows something's up you know what i mean so most of the time when i hunt private land around here i use corn and cameras to kind of triangulate where i think he could be bedded like under the assumption that there's nothing, there's no such thing as a nocturnal deer, how close can I get him to daylight at this location? You know what I mean? And I would just keep moving cameras until I figure out somewhere that is close enough to his bed that he'll show up either right after dark or in daylight. So essentially, you're just using... so. <laughs> There's such a negative connotation on corn. Oh, he killed him over a corn pile, blah, 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 right? And right. that's what that's what the masses would, would say, and that's kind of like what it says. Yeah. However, like what you're saying essentially is that 
if you replace that corn with a mock scrape and a licking branch in a camera or a mineral site in a camera, you're, you're just kind of trying to get inventory and, and kind of verify that that deer's in that area. And you're just right. Uh, and I mean, so if I have one and I, I mean, it's not like totally corn. Like if I have a deer, I really want to kill and you know, say he's an hour after dark here and it looks like he's coming from that way. I might put a camera on every scrape that way. And, but there again, so like <clears throat> I, one thing I've noticed too about the South is like, like, I might have 50 scrapes within 50 yards of a stand here and not see a buck in daylight. But then you go to Ohio and you find like, I've walked, I've walked two, 300 acres and found one scrape and sit there and see four or five bucks. You know what I mean? So even then like using scrapes in areas seems to be harder, um, you know, in certain areas, like, so, you know, just for me down here, it seems to be, the most the best way to kind of triangulate where they're coming from i mean because you can't like i said a lot of times you can't go off scrapes because and i don't know what it is it just seems like down here a lot more of them get made and just like never return to or return to like every few weeks or something like that so anyway under the assumption that you can't you can't walk around and find his bed. It's flat land that's so thick he could literally be bedded anywhere. And these scrapes, I do not feel like are that reliable in the South, in my experience, which, I mean, you could probably find thousands of exceptions. I'm not going to argue that. But anyway, so assuming, assuming you can't find a deer's bed I mean, assuming you can't find the actual circle of ground he lays on because he's laying in a hundred acres of stuff you can't crawl through. And there again, like I said, I've, I've found of all the cameras I've ever ran on scrapes in the South, there's been one time that I was like, I can kill this buck at this scrape. And it was actually a deer I hunted for three years. And I probably had cameras on, Throughout those three years, I probably had cameras on 50 scrapes within his home range. And I, I found that there was like a, a one or two week period in November that he would hit it like every three days. And it's crazy with my luck, the way my luck is. He hit it the day that I was like, I'm going to go to this scrape and kill this deer. My engine in my truck blew up. And he was at the scrape. <laughs> but so like, but I mean, literally I've probably, and I know there's people that claim to have some wisdom, like, oh, this is a primary scrape. And this is a secondary scrape. It's like, okay, well, honestly, I could walk you around in November on some of the properties I hunt and show you 150 scrapes that get hit once every two weeks. And I would be... <laughs> if somebody can come out there and point to one and tell me this is the one that bucks are going to hit all the time in daylight, I would be highly, highly impressed. So anyway, bait seems to be in the South around here seems to be the most reliable way of like 
triangulating where a deer's bedding. And so, I mean, I say it's bed hunting. I mean, it's corn hunting too. It's just he's most of the time, if you're not close to the bed, he's not going to come in daylight. Like he's got maybe a buck gets to be five or six years old. He might have two, 300 yards that he's going to go in daylight outside of the rut. And which I'm really never here for the rut, but that's, I mean, that's about all you get. And then you also got to factor in the fact that, um, and this is really kind of where, if baiting helps you, this is kind of really where it helps you is that, so like, they come into it more cautious for sure, but you can, like, you can put, like, say you're hunting a scrape, that buck's a lot of times going to approach from downwind and smell you, but you can put bait with an obstacle that keeps him from circling downwind, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, it could be 90 degrees in November here. Like, you're going to be stinking. You know what I mean? Like, I know guys that, are, like, hunting the Midwest and stuff that claim you can literally spray down enough, wash your clothes enough, and really, like, do enough of that to make a deer not get downwind and not smell you. But if it's 85, 90 degrees in November, they're going to smell you. Like you're going to sweat getting in there. Um, so anyway, it might've kind of went off on a tangent there, but no, it's good. Now from that, that one, um, incidents there where you said that, that there was a buck there that you were going to be able to kill, uh, you know, the world, the, the universe said, no, you're not. But that that particular scenario, like, was there anything, like, that you were able to learn from that? So, like, that situation, like, why was he there? Why was he doing it? Like, what what was he keying in on there? I would say probably not. I mean, it was literally just there was a roadbed there with, like, 50 scrapes. Every branch hanging over had a scrape under it. And I just had like so many cameras trying to figure out where this, what this deer was doing, where he was crossing this road. And like I said, that pattern held for like two weeks. You know what I mean? It's not like you could have, you could have hunted that scrape for a month before or after that two week period and maybe never seen a buck in daylight. You know what I mean? Uh, you probably seen one, but you might not have seen one hit that scrape. Sure. Um, but now, so it, it really seems to be, I keep saying the South, but kind of, I guess what I mean is like where I'm hunting. I mean, it seems to be like the thick, maybe just the thicker areas have more licking branches. I don't know. I mean, you could, if you went to a mature deciduous forest, which there's not a whole lot, there's not a whole lot of them left. You know, everything's been logged. It's mostly, but if you found something with big open oak trees, you might only find a couple good scrapes and the deer are wearing them out. Um, anyway, I guess the, but like I said, like I can go to Ohio and you may only find 10% as many, but you climb over one, you're going to see deer. So I guess what States have you hunted? Um, um, I've hunted Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, West Virginia, Kansas, Illinois, Indiana, Oregon. Um, may have left off a few others. So, 
how has hunting the area that you have, you know, so in theory, you, you think about like who you're speaking to, right? So you got guys that are coming off of hunting corn and their private land. And then again, guys are going to say, well, you're never going to be able to do it on public. You're not going to be able to, you know, go, go ahead and try that where I hunt. You know, that that's where, what everybody says, you know? Um, so w- what from hunting in that area, uh, so in the thick stuff, you know, where the scrapes weren't productive, where you weren't necessarily able to key in on betting and kind of using, you know, your tactics to be successful. Like how has that transitioned or how has that helped you become a better hunter? Like what has transitioned over, you know, to, to be the most helpful going out of state? Um, I mean, I honestly, I kind of look at it as it, I mean, I had a lot of the stuff, a lot of the ways I do things did not translate well. I mean, for example, like my first out-of-state trip, I went to Indiana and like in my mind, like a deer is not going to walk across a field. Like these deer are not, it's not going to happen. A big buck is not going to walk across a field in broad daylight, like 0% chance it will never happen. And then, like, so I'm sitting there in these this tiny little pocket of woods where I'm like, you know, if the deer, like, it was like a thick section of woods that, that was connected by a tiny little strip of woods. And I'm like, okay, if I sit right here, no matter what, a buck gets cruising, he's going to go from one side to the other. You know what I mean? If he's going to want to go from one side to the other, he's coming through these woods. And then after a while, I started to realize all these deer, <laughs> instead of coming down to this little neck of woods, they're just going in a straight line from how they were walking and walking out across the field and popping back in the next one. I'm like, you know, that kind of blew my mind. But so really, honestly, I, to a much larger extent than you really hear discussed, I think like the like certain like regions vary uh yes like the the way you would have to hunt a certain area and the best the best like i guess you'd say common denominator i found is like what is the most limited resource in that area so so for example a deer needs food water cover bedding right so like in georgia i'd say most of the time food is the most limited resource so that's why corn works right so I could go, I've literally just tried it just for fun. I've went to Kansas and like where I hunt corn and bean fields and threw corn out and put a camera up and literally got like one picture of a doe in a week. Whereas I'm so like out there bedding is the most, is the most limited thing. So that's what you use to find deer. Like anywhere that's, that's got bedding cover is going to have deer. And then of course during the rut, I'm going to look at like, how is a buck going to get from one to the other when he's checking for does? Um, oh, and out of those, so to add one more, you'd have food, water, bedding, um, and then you'd, how they get between them. Like, for example, somewhere really steep, like Ohio, West Virginia, I would almost look more at, like, just places that they can walk without climbing up a mountain. You know what I mean? Even, like, so if you popped in West Virginia for a week, 
even if you didn't know where the food was or where the bedding was, you could look at a topo map and know that a deer moving through there, you could pick out the two or three places that they would, that would be easiest for them to get to one, one area to the next, if that makes sense. Sure. And from, from that scenario, I guess, like when you're looking at those kind of like a path of least resistance spots, essentially, um, are you seeing it consistently with um, all classes of deer? So I guess when you go out of state, are you saying, okay, this is where I think the big bucks are going to be moving or because it's a rut, you're saying, I think this is going to be where all the deer are moving. And I think there's going to be a good buck that's going to come through here at some point. So, yeah, when I go out of state, I'm most of the time, I'm just looking for a good buck. And so like, like, like here in Georgia, I might, I mean, I've let some deer that I wish I would have shot go because they were three or four years old. And Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Went and killed a smaller five- or six-year-old, but, like, if I go to Kansas, I could have a 160, 170-inch three-year-old walk by, you know, hypothetically, and that's all I need. I mean, I ain't, you know, so I would I would just kind of look at where I think the most bucks would be. Um but there again, like, I feel like a, a mature buck is such, so individualistic that a lot of times I feel like the people who are really killing like six or seven year old deer, they're killing, they're killing that deer based on what they know about that deer, not what they know about deer, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, uh there's a couple of schools of thought on that. So I, I do think that there is a lot of guys who know these deer specifically. And so they'll say, I watch this deer for three years. And I know from trail cam data, he shows up at these days and, you know, I'm going to make a plan to kill him. But I also know guys, and you talk about West Virginia, like, you know, West Virginia, New York, like, uh, even PA to some extent, like there's guys that are killing big bucks regularly that they've never seen before. Maybe they have one picture of or something, but they're using, they're they're saying like kind of what you said, like five and six year old deer is a different animal. And so when they look at like a, a bench or something like that, they're saying, okay, this is where you're going to find the sign. This is where you're going to find the smaller bucks, but then they're looking for those little tiny things on the, on the fringes of the, the buck sign to say like, this is where the ghost shows up. And I think most guys who, you know, aren't, aren't killing those larger class bucks regularly, but you know, I feel like 
if you hunt enough, you're everybody's going to come into contact with one of them. You know, where like you're there and there's a deer where you never thought he'd be biggest deer you've ever seen or, or whatever. And you're like, you know, but I think we fail to ask that why question, like, why is he there? So uh, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like when you look at a map and say, okay, here's a, here's a flat area. And I think the deer are going to be moving through here. Um, is that what you're looking at is like where you think the five and six year old deer are going to be moving or just like deer in general. And it'll give you an idea. Um, kind of deer in general, especially like, like I said, like if I go out of state somewhere, I'm usually not there long enough to really find a certain deer and try to figure out what he's doing. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, now I will say like the past couple of years, or actually really just mainly last year, I tried to really treat Kentucky and Ohio like I do here. Like, you know, actually like make enough, put enough. Because I started noticing like I'm killing, you know, obviously killing more mature deer here. And a lot of the deer I was killing out of state wouldn't, I probably may have not even shot here. So I said, I'm going to take those two states and like, you know, kind of focus on them like I would home and really try to, try to find some good ones and learn them. And, um, honestly the, and that, that is probably what you were talking about. Walt's Walt, what he was saying about my theory about deer being an individual. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff I found in doing that went contrary to most of what you hear about. So like to hear people talk, for example, big bucks in Ohio are never going to bed anywhere but a thermal hub, which is, you know, like near the top of a ridge where they can smell the bottom below them and have the wind blow, blowing down the ridge so they can kind of theoretically somewhat smell both ways. And they're going to change their bedding based on the wind direction every time. And so, like, last year I got permission on a property that was in Ohio. Uh, it was, you know, really steep, just like that, you know, exactly that terrain. And what I found was a lot of the bucks seemed to be bedding like down in the bottom, like by the creek. And I don't know. I mean, this was, I got permission on a small piece of private, but a lot of it was it was a lot of public around it. So I was hunting a lot of the public too. And so for example, there, I don't know if it was that they were, you know, a lot of the roads will be on ridges and stuff. I don't know if that, if it was that they, they knew if they were in the bottom, they were, you know, the farthest point from the roads mostly. And it was so steep. It'd be hard for you to sneak up on them down there. Or if it was just that they don't, they don't use those hubs as, as much as people like to talk like they do. Um, but that was, that was the, and I think that was probably what Walt was talking about. Cause I was sending him stuff about that last year, quite a bit. So do you think that that's, you know, uh, again, like kind of bucking all the trends and, and everything. Do you think that that has anything to do with it being on private and there just was no need to be up there. There was less pressure down in the bottom. Well, no, like I said, this was on public. Okay. Okay. I thought you said that you'd got permission on a property 
<laughs> so I got permission on like 30 acres, but it was surrounded by public land and I was hunting both. Okay. And now, like when you had mentioned that you said you were going to start to hunt um, out of state, like you hunt in Georgia, were you just talking at, about like trying to find a deer and um, focusing on a different class of deer or you were, were you talking about like tactics and kind of like setup? No, I just meant more as far as like, uh, you know, go in, take my time and try to learn a deer or a few deer and, you know, target like a mature buck, not show up for a week and think, okay, I'm going to kill a buck this week. <laughs> okay. Now I, I want to go back to like the, the meat and potatoes of the, the whole climber scenario right so one of the things i couldn't help but think when you were talking about you know not being able to get close enough in georgia and uh, i can imagine like the thickness of it because you know uh, there's been plenty of places where i've been that's like way too thick to just go barreling through but one of the beauties i feel like of going with the stand and sticks or now these guys are going to one sticking and all that is that, you know, it maybe doesn't necessarily cut down on bulk or uh, on weight, but it's definitely cuts down on bulk. So like, what is your, what climber are you using? And do you think that, you know, even if you had a, a more streamlined setup that you could get, get closer, quieter? Um, so not necessarily. I mean, I, I, literally can climb with a climber quieter than I can put up a mobile lock on. Um, and honest to God, I would say, I mean, it would be probably five times. I mean, I could, I could probably climb a tree quietly. I would say four to five times faster than anybody I've ever met can do it in a lock on. And so there again, especially like corn, if you're like, if you're hunting over corn or something, it's like, like you need to be out of there at dark because like, if you got, if you got a buck that's coming in, say he's coming in 30, 45 minutes after dark or 20 minutes after dark and you're hunting him, hoping he's going to be there before dark that day, you need to get down and get out of there. And so if you're throwing down four or five sticks and, trying to put all that together, it takes a long time. <laughs> I mean, relatively, so I can put, I can put it, you got all these straps and I can take a climber down and put it together silently with zero straps and throw it on my back and start walking out. So there's like a million questions there. Like, like for one, what is preventing you from, I mean, if you're just going to, and this is me just playing devil's advocate, right? I'm, I'm, right. I'm the listener here and I'm thinking, so why doesn't this guy just have a ladder stand or a preset right there? Um, so the reason why is because <clears throat> like my, my primary style of hunting is like, I don't, I don't, there again, every deer is an individual, right? So, I don't know. A lot of times I don't know where I'm going to kill that deer until a week before I kill them. So 
Like it would cost me literally $20,000 to put a stand in mm -hmm. every, if I put one stand on every property I had, I couldn't afford to do it. Cause I, I mean, I'd write letters and knock on doors and get permission from customers. And I mean, I may, I may go, I may have permission on a place for 10 years before I ever even hunt it. You know what I mean? I may just run cameras there for 10 years until a deer I want to kill shows up. And then when he does, I want to go climb a tree and, and hunt him. Okay. And what is your climber setup or your preferred setup? And like, just for kicks, like what's the weight on it, etc. So like this, I think the stand itself, summit Viper, or I use a Goliath too. I've got a couple of them. It's probably 21 pounds. I've got a, I've got a, a bag with, you know, whatever I need at the time, grunt call, bleak call, you know, limb saw, thermosel, et cetera. And then I've got a camera arm mounted directly to the stand. And like I was saying, that that is what really tips the scale to a climber just making so much more sense because I there's I'm not <clears throat> I'm not having to strap anything to a tree, not having to screw anything to a tree. The the camera arm I've got a YouTube video about it, but there's a certain way it just packs right into your stand just so seamlessly. It just, I mean, literally it just simplifies the process so like tremendously. And, um, like I said, uh, to me, it's like quieter. I mean, honestly, I've, cause no matter what you do, right. When you set a climbing stick, it's going to slide six or eight inches down the tree and make noise. And when I set a climber on there, it just locks in right there and doesn't, I mean, other than a little bit of a, a crunch of the bark, which, you know, that's going to vary depending on the type of tree too. Um, you just don't really have that. So in your mind, and I was trying to think about this, like, okay, summit Viper, summit Goliath. And I, do believe that like if you're listening to this podcast or if you're on social media that we're in an echo chamber right so we see the same things over and over and over again with you know which sticks are the lightest which stand is the lightest which uh saddle is the lightest you know which is the best setup which is the most comfortable which is going to be the most beneficial what's the newest latest greatest um but what i don't see and i've talked to a couple of different manufacturers about it about like any innovations with climbers and so that's what i say like is the climber dead like the industry i mean i guess it's kind of like your thing so are you noticing any sort of like innovation or changes or anybody coming out with new ones? Um, yes. I mean, you do see changes, but they're not, I haven't seen it. I wouldn't say that there's been a tremendously beneficial change in a climber in probably 15 or 20 years. I think they pretty much had it back then. Um, there's a, there's definitely a few things that, that I would personally tweak and a couple that I'm working on that I like kind of mods that 
I wouldn't want to talk about until they may or may not come out in the near future. <laughs> but um, other than, no, I mean, like I said, I don't, I haven't seen a meaningful change in since I was a kid. I mean, I still literally kill. I mean, I I could take the climber I hunted with as a kid and not be any worse off for taking it instead of a new one. You know what I mean? So why do you think the, I don't want to say like the industry, but I mean like social media, the marketing, all that stuff is leaning towards all of these, you know, all the different sticks, all the latest, greatest, um, all of that. When, you know, and like I said, we did a podcast, you know, a couple of weeks ago talking about, you know, talking to my father-in-law and his buddy and, you know, talking about all the deer that we killed out of climbers and that, that was, and I mean, my father-in-law still hunts out of one. Um, there's so many guys out there that are, that would tell you whether it's plaid jacket and khaki pants or car hearts or, you know, the amount of deer that have been killed out of climbers and, you know, just random equipment. And so the focus now is always on gear, 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 gear. And and so for a young guy like yourself, how have you not become, you know, infatuated or like had the propensity to move towards something? I don't even want to say like a little bit more modern, but you know, if there hasn't been any changes, significant changes in a long time, it seems like you know, I mean, after 25 years, something is antique, like a car would be an antique after 25 years. Right. So it's like the technology is old. <laughs> yeah. The, so like you could take, <clears throat> excuse me, you can take, you take something new and it's this new exciting thing that's marketable and you can sell it. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's been, there's been advancements in mobile hunting and I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of situations that a lock-on makes sense, and there's areas of the country where there's not climbable trees. Uh, so, but <clears throat> I just feel that the, um, you know, the. I mean, I think it's mostly marketing. Like I said, I don't. I'm not. I wouldn't totally say that. I wouldn't say that um, lock-ons are, you know, not better in some situations, but it's just that. And honestly, I don't. Th- I think there's more people using a climber right now than are using some kind of mobile system. Like, and I would say it's probably, it, I'd say probably at least five to one. I mean, of people that you actually know in real life, hunting climbers are pro. I mean. Of course, I can't, I mean, most of the people I know are in Georgia, you know, so where there's climbable trees everywhere, but I mean, like far and above the people that I know and grew up with hunting are, that's what they're using. I mean, I've, I've known a tremendous amount of people that have bought some kind of mobile lock-on system and used it like once or twice and it is sitting in their shed, not being touched. You know what I mean? Um, and I would almost liken it to like, like you have CrossFit or you can go to the gym and bench press and squat. (laughs) And like, do you hear more about CrossFit or do you hear more about 
just normal exercising, but yeah, you hear a lot more about CrossFit, but what do you think more people are actually doing? You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess that's a good analogy. Um, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. Um, like when I switched to a stand and sticks and now ultimately I'm hunting from a saddle, I mean, I still have two different climbers in the garage, maybe three, I don't know. Um, but that year I deliberately sold my lone wolf climber because I really liked it. And I knew that if I still had that, it would be a crutch. You know, I wouldn't be necessarily giving the, the stand and sticks a chance. I would go to like, you know, what felt comfortable and what was, what was new. And then the following year I bought a saddle and I also bought the, the XOP sit and climb, whatever it was, you know, similar to the lone wolf. Um, and I put it on a tree. I used it, um, in the yard just to make sure that it was, you know, the same or similar to the, the lone wolf, but I never hunted with it again. And I haven't hunted with it. I hunted with a climber one time since then, uh, when I was filming a buddy with a climber and, uh, I just absolutely hated the process and the noise. And, 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 and that's because, you know, I was doing my due diligence to, to, you know, give it a, a complete 100% shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you, when you say you hated the process, I mean, you really, you feel like a climber is more of a process than using like sticks to get up a tree. I think that the climber that I was using, so it was one of the loggy bike climbers, one of the newer ones that's similar to uh summit Viper. So it's got the big, like, uh, it's got the, the, the cable with the knobs on it and the things flip down. Um, and there was just so much messing around for me now uh, to that point. Like if, like you said, like if, if you went back to the, the climber that you used when you were a kid, like the climbers that I used when I was a kid were the old school loggy bios that had the flat metal band. Um, I don't know if you're fam- familiar with those, but. Yeah. Like you had to hug the tree and, and went up, um, that way. And I would use that way sooner than I would use a two piece climber. That wasn't like what I like about the, the lone wolf sit and climb. And even the hand climber for that matter is that it folds completely flat and there was less moving parts. Um, all of, all of the things. And so, like I say, I would go back to, you know, even something like an API that had like the old API that had the, uh, like motorcycle chain in it versus those, those buttons, like the, like I say, like the summits do, or like those, those, uh, log yeah. guys. And it, it's just that it, it wasn't as, um, there was more play in it. So like with those metal bands, when you locked them in, they were locked in. When you lock in that motorcycle chain, it was locked in. There's no slop. When you did the lone wolf or the XOP, it was locked in. It didn't move. And those bands, when you go up, there was a room for it to go click, click, clack, clank, clank. And yeah. that's that what, is, that's what I hated. <laughs> yeah. That's probably legitimately the only complaint I have about a summit. And what I do is just stealth strip the crap out of the part where it locks in. So it doesn't make any noise. Yeah. 
And so, like I say, I, I'm not coming at this and saying like climbers are the devil or like, you know, um, I'm just saying like in today's day and age, I think you're probably right. I think the, but there is, there are a few people out there that are banging the drum for the climber any longer. They're just like, you know what? I'm still hunting out of the climber. I don't care. I don't care what you say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's not new. It's not this new exciting thing by any means. And like I said, I mean, I'm, there's pros and cons of each. I mean, there's, I'm actually, you know, this past year, well, like you said about doing your due diligence, like I got several different mobile lock-on systems and have played with them. And I mean, I would definitely be incorporating it at times. Uh, but if I'm, I mean, if I was going to, The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. If I was going to walk into the woods with a stand on my back and think I'm going to get up a tree quietly and get in and out without being detected and, you know, being a, be able to, you know, be hid or, you know, be high enough to feel like I'm hid or, or whatever, I'd, I'd say most of the time I'd probably feel more comfortable on a climber. And not to mention, like I said, the when you're self-filming – to have your arm mounted to your rail, that, I mean, it's just, you save in most cases, I mean, you can get these little pocket arms or whatever, or, you know, little compact arms. But if you told yourself, I'm going to have a steady arm, you saved yourself five or six pounds right there just by having it mounted to the rail of your climber versus having to carry a, be- a base and strap it to the tree. And there's that, you know, the extra noise associated with all that too. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can see the, the, the benefits of like a, the setup time and then B, like, like I say, what I preach more than, than weight is bulk. Right. And so I think by going to a saddle and, a you know, smaller sticks and maybe an eight or two, like the bulk of that setup or my setup you know, can go on a fanny pack super easy versus uh, a climber, you know, that, you know, I, I don't even know, I can't think of one that is like a small climber. I mean, I know that they had like the open shot and, you know, the the lone wolf with the uh, the the hand climber with that little tiny seat. Um but your platform is always about the same size. Therefore, you know, you got from the shoulders to your butt basically. And then, you know, kind of like as wide as your shoulders. I mean, that's pretty much the standard. And that's if you don't have the big cables hanging up over your head and, you know, there's ways to mitigate that. But for the, for the filming thing, like if you've already got the bulk of that stand on your back, then, you know, you're, you're just hiding that camera arm in there. So it's not any more bulky. Whereas on my setup, if I strap a, you know, four or five pound 
camera arm on top of my stuff, well, that's more stuff, more bulk, more, you know. So it's, I think maybe like we're splitting hairs here. It's like on a minimalist approach versus not, right? Yeah, I can see that. But, but yeah, so I guess from your perspective, I mean, like this whole conversation kind of like bucks any other podcast trend, you know, that, that I've heard. And like I said, I, I think it's like an echo chamber. So I think it's nice to impart, you know, the, the fact that yes, it still can be done and yes, it's, it'll, it'll be fine. And yes, it's still effective. Um, so for guys that are like, I I don't want to say it like this, but like that are still hanging on to the climber or that are trying to, you know, make that decision of whether they should or shouldn't. Um, and I think ultimately it comes down to success, right? And I, I mean, I can think of one guy, uh, one of our Patreons, Brad in Tennessee, who, you know, is, is frustrated because he, you know, used to kill a million deer out of his climber and now in, in Jason in Illinois too. And now they switch to saddle hunting or mobile hunting or standing sticks. And then they're not being as successful as they had been. So, like for guys that are in that situation or guys that are thinking about it, um, what do you think has helped you, um, stay successful, um, out of the, the climber? Cause I think that that's ultimately the thing. If like a guy wants to switch and he's not successful out of the, out of a climber, is he going to be more successful with the, uh, standing sticks, you know, uh, unless it's some sort of certain situation where he's just not able to get close enough. Or if a guy's like super successful out of a climber, then, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. So, I mean, I guess what would you say were that, to guys that are on the fence about like making the switch from the climber? Like what's kept you in it for oh. so long? Well, I guess what's kept me in it is just ease of use. And, you know, so, like, when I first started, and you got to realize, too, like, so there's a couple things. Like, a, a new guy is going to be clumsy either way, right? So, like, you're going to you're gonna make noise hanging for, when you first hang a lock on, or you're going to make noise when you first start using a climber. So, that's why, I like, that's why I took this year to, like, really kind of learn that, learn the system of a standing sticks. And like you said, do my due diligence, because I'm not, like, I'm not like belligerent. I mean, like if something was a, if something was a better way, I would do it. You know what I mean? So like if you had somebody that, that was like, just like say they were new to hunting and they're trying to decide like, what's going to be the best thing for me. The probably the first thing I would look at is what are the trees like in your area? Like, so, for example, like if you're in Kansas and you're trying to hunt with a climber, there's going to be times that you're just not going to be in the right tree. You know what I mean? Or kind of anywhere throughout the Midwest. But, um, you know, that it's happened in Georgia or Ohio or West Virginia, but I wouldn't say it was, wouldn't say it was like a, an issue. You know what I mean? Like most of the time there's going to be a good tree there. Um, you can you can uh you can probably get away with if you're afraid of heights you can probably get away with being lower out of a lock-on although i'd say i'd say your odds of falling are probably 
dramatically, dramatically higher out of a lock-on. Um, if you're, if comfort is an issue for you, a hundred percent climber by a mile, unless you start talking about like a millennium, but then you kind of, the time you get into that, you've really defeated the purpose of a mobile lock-on system. Um, so, I mean, there's just, there's definitely pros and cons to each and you just have to kind of look at what's important to you. Okay. Yeah. Like I say, I'm just, I'm just trying to say like, uh, you know, for the guys that are listening, there's, there are so many guys out there that are, I mean, we're marketed to so hard with all this. And, you know, I've said it before, like podcasts like ours is the problem because we talk about all this cool stuff and we talk to these companies and we go out and we use it and, you know, we give our opinions and, you know, some people give an honest opinion and some people say, you know, everything they got for free is the greatest thing ever and people buy it up too. So, so like I said, you know, (laughs) in the, in the face of, uh, they're not being, changes in climber technology, you know, in the last five years, at least, um, it's good to hear an opinion, you know, from somebody who's still killing deer, chasing big deer, uh, out of a climber, um, for sure. So, I mean, that's kind of like why I wanted to have this conversation, right? Right. I mean, and don't get me wrong. So like, if you could, if you could have a lock on in every tree you're ever going to hunt, you'd be better off. I mean, you know, it's, a, a pre-hung lock-on is undoubtedly quieter than a, a climber or a like hanging hunt type setup. Sure, and and there's guys that are going to go in there, and I mean, there's exceptions to every rule. I mean, there's experts at every level. Like when you say like it's going to be louder, I think of guys that are like Jake Bush, right, who sets up fifty yards from a buck, and it takes him two hours to hang the stand. You know, but 99.9% of the people, and that's probably even still giving people too much credit, aren't going to do that. They don't have the patience. They don't, they don't have the, you know, the drive to, to do that. I sure, I know I don't. I mean, right. I mean, on the same token, of course, I, I wouldn't say I've carried a climber in my back and climbed up and watched a big buck stand up out of his bed, but. I couldn't tell you how many times I've been climbing a tree and had deer come walking in. Yeah. And um, for sure. But see, so like my, and there again, it kind of goes back to where you're at. So like here, when I hang a lock on, on a pine tree, every time my clothes touch that bark, it makes noise. Every time a strap touch that bark, it makes noise. Every time a strap slides in, it makes that noise. The sticks themselves go an inch deep in the bark and slide down eight inches to try to set them. And it makes a bunch of noise. So whereas like my climber, there's a shrink wrapped cable touching the tree and there's teeth touching the tree. And so you just have way less noise than trying to bear hug a tree and wrap straps around it. If that makes sense. Yeah. But I also think like, I I guarantee I could make noise in the climber. <laughs> like I mean, I think, yeah. I think and so yeah, and so there again, I guess it's it does. You know, it they're both viable systems, and it it does come down to a lot of 
what you've done and what you're comfortable with. And so like the other thing is like, I mean, full disclosure, I've climbed in a climber probably at least 60 days a year for since I was 12. So I'm like a level 99 climber and a level 10 hanging hunt setup situation. So, um, but it's like, say you're already using a climber. Are, are you going to want to suck for 10 years until? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's great. And I, I mean, I, and also, I, I mean, I think it's just great to, to give the, the perspective on it. Right. Because like I said, I, I feel like even with like all the saddle hunting, all this like uh, hanging hunt, this mobile stuff. And it's, you know, I think people expect it to be like super easy right out of the box. And they think that it's going to be like, you know, not a big deal. And you're going to be able to hunt any tree, like, you know, and from myself, even like hunting, hunting out of a climber for so long, like I'm looking for, like when I see a tree that I could hunt in a climber, like I'm like, okay, that's, you know, that's an easy tree to climb with standing sticks. Right. But at the same time, like inevitably I get up to height and I'm like, this is the worst tree ever to hunt out of, out of saddle because, you know, maybe this is the way that you set up, but the way that I would always set up is I would look and I would look up there and I was like, okay, well, it's, I'm going to climb up to those branches and I'm going to put those branches behind me and I'm going to set up and I'm just going to tuck myself in right there. But if you look at a, uh, a saddle, you're on the backside of the tree. So now I got to hang my tether, like at my eye side or whatever. So where it would be beautiful to have those branches behind me at my shoulders, and breaking up my outline. Now they're right in front of me at my shoulders. And now it's impossible for me to shoot through them, over them, around them, um, all of that stuff. So, I mean, even me five years in to hunting with a climber or with a, a saddle is like inevitably once or twice a year, I'm going to do that and I'm going to get up to height and I'm going to just hate it. So yes. where I say, I don't think that I'm like a level 99, you know, I'm extremely confident in climbing a tree and getting up to height, but picking a tree is where it's like, damn it again, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, you know, there again, that's just hunting. You're going to have that. There's a lot of times where you need to be, there's nothing, nothing perfect. Um, but you know, there's, there's going to be times that, a climber is going to cost you from killing deer. Like you would have killed a certain deer had you been in a lock on or a saddle. And there's going to be times in a lock on or a saddle that you would have, you know, potentially killed that deer had you been in a climber. Um, you know, when it's, when it's, you're 10 hours into all day sit and nothing hurts on you and you're relaxing and can still sit perfectly still in a climber, that's a benefit. And of course, as a saddle hunter, you'd probably say you don't have that problem. Um, I've never, I've never actually tried a saddle. And the main reason why is just because I know myself and I'm, I'm fidgety <laughs> and I can just see myself just bouncing around on the side of the tree. <laughs> yeah. But, I, think, um, I think there is more movement, um, 
But I think, you know, I, I recall, you know, standing up and sitting down in a climber and sitting there and I, you know, everybody says like Summit Viper or like the Goliath or like the Viper XL or whatever. Um, yeah. I think they had one called the Titan. Um, yeah. Where the Titan's generally considered to be too big for like, like if you, if you need, if you're big enough to need a Titan, you don't need to be in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess that makes me think of like one of the things that they did do, like where they filled them with foam and dampened them. I guess that's been in the last yeah. couple of years, but you know, I've never hunted on one of those. That loggy bayou was pretty, pretty comfortable. Um, Lone wolf was comfortable enough. Um, as you know, it's just if you use two pieces, just set in your height, right? But f- from a saddle, I, I I do see that there is more moving around, I guess. But I think you know all that is mitigated you know, in some degree by set a correct setup where, you know, they, they got to see you pass the tree up in the air. So as long as you're not egregiously doing something crazy, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that as many people get busted as, as maybe the detractors would make it out. But, um, yeah, like I say, I, I, I agree with you. You know, once you get up there, and I mean, a climber, will get, a climber will get you busted too. Like that. That's one thing I found out this year. Like if you're going to be, if you're going to be sitting somewhere with a lot of deer around you for a long time, like, and I was honestly, I was genuinely surprised by this. Like, so like there was times this year that say like a mature doe would catch me moving when I was sitting in a lock on and like, couldn't figure out what I was. And, but when she gave up, she never looked back at me. Whereas like I've had, and I mean that, that kind of really surprised me. So like in a climber, if a mature dog catches you moving, you can sit really still and she won't be able to figure out what she, what you are. But she's gonna keep looking back at you every thirty seconds or so. Just like, like I, you, I've never had one just like completely forget about me, like to that extent. And I guess it's just because you got the frame of the bar around you. Like, whereas there was two or three times this year that, like I said, a, a mature doe would kind of catch me moving, but like she might look at me for fifteen or twenty seconds. But when she got done, she was a hundred percent convinced that I was nothing. You know what I mean? Like. Didn't look back at me, wasn't worried about it. And that really kind of blew my mind. Hmm. Um, I'm just trying to think back if there's any scenarios. You know, we were talking about it in our our Patreon group there about like, like how often do you get busted or like, do you get winded or whatever? And so like, for me, I, I was like, I guess I feel like I get busted like a lot, like once every five sits, but it isn't busted in a way that you would think like, you know, I feel like I'm setting up on certain trails or pinches or areas where like, I know that I'm going to have encounters with deer and I have a pretty good idea of like where they're coming from and where they're going. And I'm in there on a wind that's going to allow me to get a good entrance get up clean, but I'm going to have opportunity to kill the deer before it gets into my wind. But like, once it gets into my wind, 
all bets are off. So a lot of times if it's deer that I don't want to kill, you know, I, I might, I might have had an interaction with them for 15 minutes, but at some point they're going to get past me to where they're going to get into my, my scent. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You'll definitely have that. And that kind of goes back to, well, like I was talking about, about like trying to set up on the edge of something where there's something downwind of you that the deer are probably not going to cross. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, a lot of times you just gotta, you just gotta take a chance. I mean, if where you need to be is is in that, you know, if, if you need to be in the middle of a section of woods to be in the right spot, that's just what you gotta do. But it's definitely something I try to keep in mind. Um, let me ask you this: Do you ever feel? Has I mean, like, has there ever been a time where you were? Because I, I mean, I don't know how long it takes you to get set up in a tree. I know for me, it takes like like I said, just dramatically, dramatically longer to try to hang a lock on with sticks and all. But has there ever been a time where you're like setting up and had like a buck come cruising by that you would have shot that you're halfway up the tree? Not halfway up. Um, like when I was in Missouri, like, you know, when you were saying like when you go out of state and there's deer that are, I guess at the beginning you said there was deer that, you know, you probably should have shot and you didn't. Um, there was a deer like that in Missouri. It wasn't a, wasn't a big deer, but it was a, you know, I haven't killed enough bucks to, I mean, like racked bucks, like whatever to just be like, oh yeah, he needs another year or whatever. Um, you know that, and especially being out of state on a like hunt, but if I would have had my camera arm set up, I probably would have shot this deer on camera, but because I didn't, right. but we were, it, it was just one of those situations where it was like we were in late. So like it was daylight. And by the time I got up the tree and I think my bow was still hanging on the rope. Uh, I looked up and there was a buck working a scrape like 25 yards away. So I got my bow up, I got all set up and then I decided that it wasn't big enough. And then I just started videoing him with my phone. But had I had my camera arm set up, I think I would have shot him. So, yeah. but I've had, but I've had it where not bucks, but does sure. Like where I'm getting up and getting everything and it's gray light and the deer are just cruising by, you know, I've certainly mm-hmm. had that happen. I got you. I was just kind of curious. Um, like I've almost, like I've almost like kind of decided like for sure. Cause like the more, of course, I've argued about it with probably 50 people online that think climbers are just useless anchors. Like, but, uh, like thinking back, there's been probably three or four times that I've had opportunities on bucks within like five minutes of setting up. And then just thinking like, had I been in a lock on that's, you know, like one buck could like, I mean, that could like make or break your year, you know what I mean? And so that's three or four times that wouldn't have happened had I, had I been in a lock-on. Now, on the flip side, you don't know how many times, you know, it's like the butterfly effect. You don't know how many times it would have worked out the other way, you know what I mean? Like had had a doe not busted me in blue, you know, had I been really tucked into something in a lock-on and that doe not busted me or had I been on the backside of the tree in the saddle and that doe not busted me, I'm sure there would have been other bucks I would have killed. 
but um, that just kind of weighs in for me too. Well, I think like, I mean, I don't know that we've talked about it on the podcast maybe a long time ago, but so like my father-in-law, like, and, and John also, like they, they grew up, they were like, they were uh, coming up when there was like the Baker climbers and the TSS and, you know, depending on like hard bark trees. And I, I'm sure that you've encountered it because I have too. Um, but I guess those stands were quite notorious for like not gripping the tree very well. So you'd climb up and then slide down or it'd go like, and then you'd go back up. And so, right. so that, you know, tons of times deer would come in on them when they were doing that. And I think that kind of lends towards deer being like curious animals. And especially like during the rut, you know, you've got this commotion going on over there. And so whether they think it's another deer, another buck, a doe, you know, these are cruising through. So, I mean, it it wouldn't surprise me if some of that was, was part of it. Right. I mean, I would, I would kind of have to disagree with that just because I don't, I just, I'm, I just don't have the commotion that you're describing, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, honestly, I just believe it. And it, it may just be that I'm that much better at a climber than I am in a lock-on, but, like, my my buddies that I hunt with are, you know, that I've seen climb, most of them that have, you know, kind of experienced with it are, I wouldn't say I was dramatically quieter than they are most of the time, you know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. um, like I said, in my experience, it just seems to be the quieter way to go. Like, but, you know, there again, like you said, there's a difference between Jake Bush setting up a lock-on and the average person setting up a lock-on, you know what I mean? Or, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's a difference between me climbing and, you know, handing somebody a climber and saying, hey, climb this tree. Like, it takes a while to build up your leg muscles to the point that you can float the climber up the tree without the cables or the claws hitting it, you know what I mean? Like, you got to hold it in the perfect spot. It's a, a little bit of a learning curve to it. Oh, yeah, a uh, 100%. And like I said, I think it was more back in the day with those specific climbers, like I said, because they were, yeah. like, notoriously bad. But, like, right. uh, on a hard bark tree, like, if it was raining or drizzling or anything like that, like, I've certainly had them slip and, you know not bite as hard as you'd like. So, I mean, but I, I'm also, you know, by, by trade, the world's worst bow hunter. So it's, it's just, you know, kind of goes yeah. along with, well, I'm it. probably second. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what I'm, what I'm going to try this year though, is I hadn't trademarked this yet, but we're going to call it semi mobile. So what I'm going to do is and I'm going to have like, Instead of like a, a standing sticks, I'm gonna get like five or six sets of like cheaper sticks, maybe like some API hunting sticks mm-hmm. that are not like the most mobile in the world, like not the most packable, but you know, not gonna take you an hour to set them up either. And try to like rotate those around to the like spots I anticipate hunting and try that. And kind of compare that to my climber usage because like i said if you've got one already set up there it's definitely that's definitely the way to go but especially like hunting over a food source or something you got to be able to get out of there so like if i had 
if I could leave the sticks there and throw a lone wolf 1.0 or 2.0, whatever on my back and know I got another set of sticks at the truck, that that's going to kind of mitigate that problem. I was having of like taking everything down when I know deer are coming, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And so, I, think, I think that that's, you know, if, if you had private land that had deer on it that you wanted to kill and that, you know, you knew you were going to go back there at some point, you know, during the season. Um, I mean, I think that's a great strategy, right? Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. We might have a we might have a different uh, verdict then the next season. I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll have to catch up after that. Um, we'll have to get you back on here to uh, to talk about that. So uh, yeah. So for for guys that want to follow along with the, or like you know kind of see your pri- your prowess out of the. Uh, the climber or you know follow along with what you're doing and and check you out this season uh where can they do that um yeah so we're have bow will travel on youtube uh same instagram facebook have bow will travel across pretty much all all uh popular platforms um that's about it i guess (laughs) all right man well i appreciate it you know thanks for coming on here taking the time and kind of debunking the fact that uh you can't kill uh big deer over over corn with a climber (laughs) yes search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv in wild country rules were not created by man don't miss wild country wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m eastern presented by primos speak the language waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment